0: I'll let you in on a little secret. Reaching your revenue goal won't change your life, but hitting your profit goal, that absolutely will. If you want to build a life-first business this year, you need to create more margin, both in your finances and in your schedule. If you're ready to double down on profit-generating strategies that actually work so you can work four-day weeks, go on real vacations, or even take the summers off, you won't want to miss this. In my free masterclass, Double Your Profit While Working Less, you'll learn exactly how to set your business up to scale so you can give yourself a raise, create a clear plan for how to work that dream schedule, and step into your CEO era, the one where you and your business aren't just surviving but thriving. You can grab this free masterclass at www.jadeboyd.co backslash double your profit masterclass or go to the link in the show notes. Now back to the show that even if you're making your own schedule, you have been influenced by the way that our society operates and maybe even unconsciously believed that you should be working from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, because those are standard work hours. Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast, a podcast about redefining productivity for the modern woman in business and finding ways to work smarter, not harder, in business and life. I'm your host, Jade Boyd. I'm an MBA, business strategist, and mentor who helps overwhelmed business owners simplify and scale their service-based businesses with strategy and systems. On this podcast, we'll explore simple ways to earn more while working less. If you're ready to scale your business, bring order to chaos, ditch the busy work, and make space for what really matters, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast. You could probably say that this episode is eight years in the making. When I was working 40 hours a week at my full-time job in between my undergrad and grad school, I had really strict boundaries on my time, and it was just a job to me. It wasn't a calling, and it was really easy for me to say no, to not stay late and like not take on additional projects for no extra pay. And I still remember thinking, who invented the 40 hour work week? This makes absolutely no sense. And I hate it with a passion. (laughs) So, my obsession with how did we get here? What is like, why is it this way? has gone back eight years. And that's when I first started asking those questions. Deloitte published a study in April this year, 2022, that showed that 53% of women say their stress levels are higher than they were a year ago. And almost half of all women reported being burnt out. Not on their way to burnout, but already burned out. I cannot name a single woman I know who's really thriving and loving the 40 hour workweek setting. I have so many friends and family members who only get an hour or two with their kids each day. They're pulling double shift, managing the bulk of the household chores and meal prepping and grocery shopping and appointment scheduling while still working forty hours a week outside the home, traveling kids to daycare, all the things. I think this structure and this schedule is part of the reason why so many women in the past few years are starting their own businesses because they're desiring freedom and flexibility. Not that 40 hours a week is too much, but that the structure is just so rigid and inflexible and doesn't allow for life to happen. And I'm here for it. I'm here for women starting businesses to get that flexibility. The creator economy right now is dominated by women, and it's a really exciting time. But I also see a lot of women starting businesses who are being pulled into hustle culture because starting a business, like a real money-making business, not a hobby business, is no joke, and the work never ends. It expands to as many hours as you'll give it, and women in business are left with the same result oftentimes, which is burnout. I think part of the reason this happens is because no one really taught us how to do it better. How do we as women fit everything we're responsible for into a seven-day week without burning out? I mean, were women ever able to do this? And how did they do it? Where did the 40-hour work week come from? Is it some sort of magical number? Or is it completely arbitrary? Or maybe something in between? That's what this episode is all about. So let's dive into it and explore how we got here. A little disclaimer, I'm no historian, and actually, history was my least favorite subject in school. One of my top five strengths is futuristic, so my general feeling towards history is just pure boredom. (laughs) Like, start talking about something that happened more than 30 years ago, and my brain just automatically checks out. Caleb gives me a really hard time because I hate watching old movies, Um, like even the classics, like Indiana Jones. I'm pretty sure I've still never seen Indiana Jones I just have a bad feeling towards old movies. If it's pre-2000, I have a really hard time paying attention and I just don't enjoy it. But I feel like the 40-hour work week has been the exception to that rule for me. I read a lot of books about productivity, goal setting, time management, and a lot of the authors who write in that genre touch on the origins of time management and explore like how new this concept of measuring time down to the second and minute actually is. We're still adjusting to it as a human race. So this episode is a very very brief look into the history of the 40-hour work week and the history of time in general, and it really only covers the American version or the American history of the subject, which is even more brief, right? So, let's start at the origins of American history where our economy overall was a farming economy. And in a farming economy, Productivity is cyclical. It's seasonal, especially in the Midwest. It's very seasonal and like it ebbs and flows throughout the year, right? You don't have a rigid structure every day that's consistent throughout the whole year. So very different. A lot of families had both parents living and working at home together and sharing their responsibilities, like managing the family business together. And even though women probably still Held the majority of the household and like child raising jobs. That was something that took up the full amount of their time, right? They weren't as responsible for working 40 hours a week apart from their family and doing those responsibilities. So it was more fluid, collaborative, and men were present at home. I grew up on a farm eight miles outside of Monticello, Iowa, and I know that paid or not, you're expected to contribute (laughs) to the family business. Um, One thing that I remember from growing up that my siblings at least my sisters and I still complain about to this day is picking strawberries in the summer because my mom had these massive strawberry gardens and we would have to pick them early in the morning in June. So summer's just starting. All my city friends are sleeping in and going to the pool and I'm waking up at 6am to pick strawberries. And no joke, it took four or five hours every day. And so when I hear people talk about like, oh, we just went to Wilson's Apple Orchard, which is an orchard around here, and we picked strawberries and it was so much fun. I'm like, you have no idea. (laughs) That's kind of a side note. But growing up on a farm, there is just more present time with your family and you work together, you live together, eat together. Every family is different. So I don't want to make assumptions about this ideal farm family because it's not always like that. But in general, there is a lot more fluidity when it comes to productivity, managing your time, and your responsibilities throughout the day. Also, in a farming economy, productivity is money. So, it doesn't really matter how many hours you put in, it matters how much you produce based on what you're doing, right? It doesn't really make sense for a farmer to log how many hours they're working because it doesn't matter. All that matters is what they produce, that's where the money is. And so, it was an economy where, again, productivity is se- seasonal and cyclical, and also productivity is money, not time. And then enter the Industrial Revolution, um, which is sometimes called the Second Industrial Revolution because the first one happened in Europe. But the American Industrial Revolution started in like the late 1700s-ish. And for the first time ever, men were spending a significant amount of time away from their families every single day, year-round. Again, not cyclical anymore. It's every single day, year-round. And women took on the household and parenting responsibilities by themselves with the men not being present many hours a week, year-round. By the 1800s, it was common for people in manufacturing to work nearly 100 hours per week between 10- and 16-hour shifts over six-day work weeks. And it's a switch in the value of time because time is now money, right? It doesn't matter what you produce, you get paid for your time. So the more hours you put in, the more you get paid. And there is a lot of labor rights activists um, who are active during this time. So they realized 100 hours a week away from the home is not healthy for families or for individuals. And this is kind of where we see the shift down from 100 hours to 40 hours take place. Uh, side note, though, I did find this quote by a an 18th century Welsh mill owner and labor rights activist named Robert Owen. And this quote was something he said in his fight to have fair labor rights so that people weren't working 100 hours per week and were getting paid adequately for that sacrifice. He said, eight hours labor, eight hours recreation, eight hours rest. And that's just really funny. I laughed out loud when I read it because who in today's world has eight hours of recreation and eight hours of rest every single day? Nobody. (laughs) Absolutely nobody. And so this idea that You could have eight hours of labor, and that means eight hours of recreation and eight hours of rest. Like, this is what the 40 hour work week would be, right? Every day, well, five days a week, is just a really antiquated belief of what time looks like, and also completely discounts the amount of work that is done outside of paid work in the home, especially for families with kids. So, again, after the Industrial Revolution, Time is money, and you might have heard people talk about the time economy, and that is what we're talking about here. So, by the early 1900s, so we're skipping like one one fact per hundred years, I guess, because that's my limit in historical research, apparently. But by the early 1900s, many industries had adopted the eight-hour workday, but most were still working six days a week, so that would be a forty-eight-hour week. And that continued until 1926. And Henry Ford is the first one in terms of manufacturers who reduced the number of workdays required from six days to five days. So he changed that 48 hour work week to the 40 hour work week that we have today. And he actually noticed that after he switched his employees from 48 hours to 40 hours, and granted, this was in a manufacturing setting, this was not like in the knowledge economy. They He found that his workers were actually more productive working 40 hours a week than they were working 48 hours a week. And so this trend kind of took on. Other manufacturers saw what he was doing and started replicating it. And then in 1938, Congress passed the Fair Labor Standards Act, which at that time in 1938 required employers to pay overtime to employees who were working more than 44 hours a week. And then two years later in 1940, they reduced it to the 40 hour work week that we have today, that is U.S. law. So if you work more than 40 hours, you get overtime. And again, this was set in 1940. Here we are 80 years later, and this has not changed, although a lot of things have changed in the last 80 years. So that's a very brief overview of the setting and context in which the 40 hour work week was set, which Yeah, let's just agree that it's a very different setting from today's context. So let's take a look at some of the things that have changed between 1940 and today. So in 1940, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, only 24.3% of women were working, participating in the labor force. But today, in 2019, was the latest statistic that I could find. 57.4% of women are participating in the labor force, which is a huge shift. That means in 1940, 24, 3% of women, that doesn't mean they're married, they could be unmarried at the time, were participating in the labor force and working outside of the home, which means a lot more women were full-time working from home or able to take on that burden of household management and raising kids and all of the things that come with that full-time without having to work outside of the home. But today, huge shift, which means both parents in a lot of households are working outside the home while still managing all of those extra responsibilities that were not taken on by somebody who was working outside the home when that law was put into effect in 1940. Huge shift. We're also no longer in the industrial economy. We're in the knowledge economy. And Peter Drucker coined this term in his book, The Effective Executive, around 1966. And that's kind of what made it take off. You may have heard about the knowledge economy, where we have that shift back to productivity being money. Time is not money anymore because in the knowledge economy, it doesn't matter how much time you put in. It matters how much you get done, similar to the farming economy. So we're not in the type of economy that we were when the 40-hour work week was put into place, which is 40 hours a week. And maybe that was necessary and that was the peak productivity for most businesses and most workers in the time where time is money, but now knowledge is money, which is a huge shift. So we're not really focused on managing our time so much as knowing how to manage our focus how to manage our energy and how do you really get things done that matter instead of keeping ourselves busy with busy work 40 hours a week and that's a completely different skill set with completely different requirements for how many hours you should be working each week in order to achieve those goals also in the industrial economy work was left at work You could only work at work because you had to be physically present in a manufacturing economy to get the work done. But today, you can really work from anywhere in most industries. And there's a lot of studies that have shown that people work way more than 40 hours a week outside of the office hours. And I'm just going to list a few stats that I thought were pretty surprising. Well, maybe not surprising, but just communicate this concept really clearly. There was a study I found that said 80% of people continue working after they leave work for the day, and 50% check their work emails while they're still in bed in the morning. On average, people work an extra seven hours a week outside of the office. Seven hours, which is a 47-hour work week on average. So if you're wondering where all your free time goes, the answer might be into your email. (laughs) And a lot of employees were paid an hourly rate and got overtime pay. But today, a lot of people are salaried or as business owners, obviously, we're not salaried. But our time doesn't necessarily correlate to the amount of money that we make because, again, productivity is money. It doesn't matter how many hours you work. It matters what you get done in those hours. And today, a lot of employees are salaried and they're working those extra seven hours a week and not getting paid for that. So there's a huge incentive for employers with salaried employees to take advantage of workers, give them extra projects, because one, they've seen that people are willing to take on those extra projects with no extra pay. And two, there's also an incentive for salaried employees to take on those extra projects because it oftentimes leads to a promotion or to accolades or even just an internal sense of pride in their work. And so there's a double-sided incentive there, which doesn't protect employees in that type of setting. And this is purely anecdotal, but I do feel like those incentives and those pressures to take on extra work and be available all the time weigh even more heavily on women because when we have kids, we need to take breaks. And oftentimes it's harder for us to get ahead as quickly as men do because in the in the workforce, we're not able to put in as much time simply because we have kids. There's a lot of other factors that go into it, but just that time off and then coming back, I think a lot of women feel like they're playing catch up and they wanna say yes. They want to be an active contributor to their teams. They wanna show up. And I think that pressure to say yes is even heavier on them for a lot of those reasons. And then as business owners, especially for service providers, I see a lot of women discounting how much their services are actually worth. And when you do underprice your services or even underprice your products, that means you have to work a lot harder to make the same amount of money, which again leads to you working maybe more than 40 hours a week and getting paid the same amount. The last thing I want to point out that has changed between 1940 and today is that around 1960, it was kind of the height of the nuclear family. And a nuclear family is defined as two parents with at least one child living in the same household. And so, again, 1960, 73% of families were nuclear families. And the last stat I found on this was in 2014. It was down to 46%. And that study was done by the Pew Research Center. And within a nuclear family, it is easier for both parents to work outside the home because they do have that additional support from their spouse. Not that it's easy, but now we are moving away from the nuclear family, and there are so many non traditional families, either single parents or people living with extended relatives, grandparents raising kids, blended families with stepkids. And it's a lot harder to juggle that when you don't have a teammate carrying the burden. And again, this is just a brief look at things that have changed since 1940. I'm sure you can think of more. Feel free to DM me on Instagram if you want to chat about this because I love talking about it. I think it's fascinating that this hasn't been revisited. And just every time I see one of my friends or family members struggling in the 40-hour work week and having a crazy week where somebody gets sick or they have to take a day off and things just like come crashing down because it's such a delicate balance – It fires me up because it just doesn't make any sense. And it's always been something in the back of my mind, like, why is it this way? It doesn't make sense to me. Um, So I'm happy to chat more about this. And if you have more info that you want to share with me, I would love to hear it. So despite everything that's changed, we still have the 40-hour work week. Maybe this is why 53% of women are saying that their stress levels are higher than they were a year ago and almost half feel burned out. Okay. But let's not get stuck in all the negative things that we could say about the 40-hour work week. I do want to take a look moving forward and what does productivity look like for the modern woman in business in the 40-hour work week? And is it going to stay this way? Is it going to change? And I do think there's a lot of hope in this area. Companies have started taking notice, especially in the last five years, that things like unlimited time off, flexible work weeks, even moving to four-day work weeks. Doesn't decrease productivity, it actually increases productivity. There was one study done in 2019 by Microsoft Japan, and they tested reducing the work week by one day. So they tested out the four day work week, and they saw that it led to a 40% boost in productivity. Again, Microsoft is in the knowledge economy. It makes sense that you don't need 40 hours a week to get the work done. And when you allow yourself less time to get the work done, it actually crunches those deadlines, you work more efficiently. And you get more time to rest, get your energy back up before you return to work the next week. It just makes a lot of sense to me. So there was an article written in Forbes about this study, and I'm just going to read the rest of what they said after the Microsoft study. They said, not only that, but Andrew Barnes, founder of the New Zealand company Perpetual Garden, tried the same experiment. In the end, his employees were happier and more productive. That's because they were working smarter, not harder. Researchers in Iceland have also found that a four day work week without a pay cut improved workers' well being and productivity. For four years, researchers tracked 2,500 employees who reduced their work week to 35 to 36 hours. They discovered that worker well being dramatically increased across a range of indicators from perceived stress and burnout to health and work life balance. At the same time, employees' productivity remained the same or improved. And then more recently, there's another experiment with this going on in the U.S. right now. And here is what an article in CNBC said earlier this year. Thousands of workers across the U.S. are enjoying their first Friday off for the next six months in an experiment to test a four-day workweek. It's part of a worldwide effort launched by 4-Day Workweek Global, a nonprofit associated with the University of Oxford that helps companies execute and measure the impact of a four-day workweek. This year, 38 companies in the U.S. and Canada are taking part in the program, with most running from April 1st through September. Participants and observers around the world hope that if this six-month experiment works out, a four-day workweek could become a reality for a lot more people. And these are just two examples of, I'm sure, a lot of research that you can find about experiments done to reduce the workweek or improve flexibility and how that's impacted employee well-being and productivity in the end. Which again is just saying we don't live in an economy where time is money, productivity is money, and you can be more productive in less time if you're working smarter, not harder. And structuring your work week that way incentivizes you to work smarter, not harder. And maybe even more accurately because you're not so burnout out working 40 hours a week and managing all of the things in your life. Not that you aren't working probably 100 hours a week, <laughs> including all the personal things that feel like work to us. So if you own a small business, at this point, you might be thinking, why are we talking about the 40-hour work week? Because I make my own schedule and this doesn't really apply to me. But I would argue that even if you're making your own schedule, you have been influenced by the way that our society operates and maybe even unconsciously believed that you should be working from 9 to 5 Monday through Friday because those are standard work hours. Just because it's standard doesn't mean that it makes sense. So, if you're a business owner, I would challenge you to reconsider what working hours actually make sense for the season that you're in, for the stage your family is in, for the stage that your kids are in, for the stage that your business is in, because it's not going to be the standard 40 hour work week. I can guarantee you, in every season throughout the year and throughout your business and throughout your life, 40 hour work weeks are not going to make sense across the board. I strongly believe in planning out my ideal week each season. And even in the middle of a season, if something dramatic shifts, I'll re-envision what my typical week should look like based on what's going on. So, for example, when we switched from spring to summer... I had big goals for summer. I wanted to test out the four-day work week. So I realized last summer I worked way too hard and didn't really enjoy anything last summer, and I wanted to change that this year. So I decided to try out the four-day work week, and I had to reimagine how I'm going to fit all of my work into four days and not work on Friday's. In the fall, I'll have different things going on in my business and in my life and I'll sit down at the end of the summer and think like, okay, what do I wanna prioritize in this season and what does my work week look like because of that? And I have a free resource. It's a task batching workbook that walks you through how to batch different tasks in your business and assign them time blocks on your calendar. And that's really the underlying structure that I use to create my ideal week. I batch my tasks that are happening in my life and in my business in different categories. And then I assign those categories a time on my calendar to make sure that I can fit those things in every week or every month where they make sense. And there's an ideal month layout and an ideal week layout in that free guide that I'll link in the show notes. So if you want to go through that process and reimagine your ideal week, if you're listening to this in the summer or later on, whatever season you're in, go ahead and download that guide and it'll walk you through how to batch your tasks and create that ideal week. I also recently worked with a client who was really struggling to create her ideal week and figure out how all the pieces in her life as a mom and a business owner and a photographer fit into the schedule when her schedule is constantly changing. So I also did an in-person session with her after she did the workbook and we talked through everything together and created a plan for her ideal week that was flexible based on the season of life that she's in. And if you need a little extra help, fill out my contact form. I'll link that in the show notes too. And we can book a strategy session time for us to look through your ideal week and batch your tasks in your business together. When I think about ideal weeks, I always think about this quote that one of my high school teachers said all the time. And maybe you have one of these quotes that one of your teachers said on repeat throughout your formative years that is just stuck in the back of your mind. But this teacher said this. She said, what you value, you do. And I've thought about that in so many different contexts, but in the context of an ideal week, I realized that if my priorities aren't showing up in my weekly schedule, then I'm not really valuing them because I'm not making time for them. Like, okay, it's hard to make time for something every single day. That's the tall order. It's pretty easy to make time for something each month. But if you make time for it each week, that shows that you're actually valuing that thing because it takes a little bit of sacrifice. And if something is really that important to me, if I actually do value it, I should fit it into every week, right? So whether it's something in your business or something in your personal life, I would challenge you to think about what are the things that you're telling yourself that you value or what are the things that you believe are valuable for your business And are you making time for them on a weekly basis? Are you actually prioritizing them? Or are they the things that kind of get shoved to the side? And when things get busier, you just skip them? Or do they actually have a protected space on your calendar? And again, that could be business or personal. But it's just a question I wanted to leave you with as you're thinking about what your ideal week looks like and how much can you really fit into the seven days that you have to work on everything that you're responsible for. Think about those things that you really value in your business and your personal life, and make time for those things first. So there's one last quote that I want to leave you with before we wrap up this episode. I read a book called Take Back Your Family in the last couple months, and he talks, it's by Jefferson Bethke, and he talks a lot about the nuclear family and this ideal that Americans have made around the nuclear family and how it's become kind of twisted and consumeristic and individualistic and how families weren't designed to be consumeristic and individualistic. And he talks about kind of the cure for that and what that looks like. But he does talk a lot about the Industrial Revolution and what that's done to families in America. And it's just a really interesting read. But a quote stood out to me. He was talking about an ideal week of sorts and what the seven-day week looks like and rhythms in your family. And here's what he said. If you believe life is essentially a race to the finish line with big milestone markers along the way, then you will spend most of your time creating and trying to attain these milestone markers. You'll concentrate on trying to create big moments, but will subtly feel time running out, and so you better hurry up and capture all the value out of them before time disappears. This is why most Americans think that one vacation a year will save their family. I'd be willing to bet the house that a family dinner or a weekly ritual or maybe a marital date night once a week or once a month will do way more to transform your marriage and family than a vacation ever can. And again, he's writing in the context of family, but I feel like this applies to so many different areas of life, too. So many times in business, we are chasing those huge goals or milestone markers and not focusing on the things that we should be doing on a daily, weekly basis that are making much more of a difference showing up consistently and putting in the work, those little things that you do consistently on a weekly basis in the end, they snowball and they contribute to your success. And it's easy to say no to those things or not to prioritize those things on a weekly basis because they don't seem as important. And by themselves, really, they don't make that much of a difference. Like Whether I send an email this week or not probably won't make a huge difference. But if I do send an email every single week for the whole year, that makes a huge difference. And so I do want to challenge you to think through that weekly routine and those little things that add up over time. And again, you can think of the different areas of your life. So you could think about this in the context of your family and those routines and tiny things that you can fit in each week or in the context of your business. What are those little habits that are going to roll up and snowball over time or over even a quarter if you can do them consistently? So think through those things. Think about what you value and I would challenge you to really rethink your ideal week and find something that feels fun, feels exciting, but also feels doable and spacious. And again, if you're having trouble coming up with that ideal week, contact me. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Or if you want to do a full session, we can talk about booking that out too. I hope this episode was helpful and challenged you to think about your schedule in a different way. And if you thought that it was helpful, I would so appreciate it if you could screenshot this episode and share it with somebody who needs to hear this message today because I do think it's something that's not talked about as much as it should be. It's something I'm really passionate about. And I think more women need to reconsider what it means to be productive and create a schedule that meets their needs too. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Business Minimalist Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd rate it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Your rating and review will help more small business owners discover helpful episodes each week. Don't forget to check out the show notes for the tools and resources mentioned in today's episode, because good ideas don't grow businesses. Action does. And if you want more business minimalist tips and resources, head on over to Instagram and follow me at jadevoid.co. I'd love to hear what you took away from today's episode. I'll see you next time on the Business Minimalist Podcast. The number of women burning out is at an all-time high right now, and I'm on a mission to change that. If you're a service provider who's feeling overwhelmed, overworked, and underpaid, don't let another year go by staying stuck. The Business Edit is a 12-month group coaching program that helps you declutter your business from top to bottom so that you can have shorter to-do lists, a clear strategy to scale, and know exactly what to focus on each week to drive results in your business. You'll end the year with the business that you've been dreaming of building, one that gives you your life back and pays you more than you've ever made before. In the program, you'll follow my signature five-step method for scaling your service-based business. You'll get business minimalist strategy, marketing systems and productivity roadmaps that are simple to understand and easy to implement plus 12 months of customized one-on-one coaching to help you every step of the way join me inside the business edit at www.jadeboyd.co backslash coaching and get my step-by-step blueprint with everything you need to build your dream business in 2024 now back to the show